Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyer, your host. We're coming into a very rich time in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I know I say that a lot, I think, on this program. That's because the church and the life of the church, the prayer of the church, the liturgy of the church is very rich. Just that sometimes it's even richer than others, if you can imagine that. <laughs> and coming up now as we get into August is a very rich time. First of all, you have overlapping holy days. Their preparatory periods and their post-fasts are overlapping. And amidst of that, at the same time, you have a fasting period. So here's how it works. We've got the Feast of the Transfiguration of our Lord, one of my favorites. But amidst that, we are in a strict fast. And that is in preparation for the Feast of the Assumption, or as we say in the Byzantine churches, the Dormition of the Mother of God. So the fast is actually a strict one. No meat or dairy products for the two weeks. Actually, it's from August 1st to August 14th, which is the vigil of August 15th, the feast itself of the Dormition or Assumption. But that is broken up by the great joyful festival, the glorious festival of the Transfiguration of our Lord on Mount Tabor. Now, one of the reasons it's one of my favorite feasts is because what happened on Mount Tabor gives us a glimpse of two important things. In fact, the two of the most important things, which should determine our lives. See, that's the key here. You notice how liturgy, when it's practiced correctly, when it's lived, it does just that. It's a living thing. It affects our lives. It gives us the blueprint to how to look at life. The Eastern churches are a very liturgical church because we see liturgy as the hub of the wheel, as the source and summit. Everything moves in and out of liturgy. Liturgy informs all of life. In other words, it tells us how to live life, how to see life. You see it through a liturgical vision. And conversely, all of life moves into liturgy. It, in a sense, it informs liturgy. So both, in a sense, perfect each other. And they're very wedded. This is why 
on certain feast days, such as this one, the Feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord. And of course, that is when Jesus Christ went on top of Mount Tabor, was gloriously transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John. And this feast day gives us a blueprint of God, humanity, and how to see all of life. And what is that blueprint? What is that vision? Well, first of all, it is divinity of Christ, that he is God. This is what the apostles saw, and that's why it is very dramatically portrayed in the icon. They were literally knocked off their feet, fall on their faces, not only in humility, but in they're, they're awestruck. They're just knocked off their feet because they're beholding something so glorious. They're beholding two things. His divinity, as I said, first of all. So this shows that Jesus Christ is God. And in fact, it is a revelation of the Trinity because his Father's voice boomed down from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So they knew that this was the Son of God. This was not just this wonderful, compassionate, beautiful, miracle-making healer that they knew, Jesus Christ, this Jewish teacher, this Jewish miracle person, this man of great compassion and insight and mercy. They, they knew that, but now they see for themselves that he is also divine, gloriously divine. And he is his father's son, the second person of the Trinity. Now, that's the most important thing. The second thing is that Christ took with him, as he always does, just as he did at his resurrection, his crucifixion, and his ascension, and even his birth. That's where it first started. His conception and his birth, his dying on the cross, his resurrecting, his ascension, and now his transfiguration all have to do with the human form, the human body, the human person. So now we're seeing what it is on Mount Tabor. The apostles are seeing, and we are seeing too, by entering into this feast. We're seeing what it means to really be human, to be gloriously human. That's what we are. That's the truth of who we are. We're made in the image and likeness of God. Now, if you just take that and let that be your vision, let that be the foundation out of which you see and interact with the human person, what's going to happen? It's going to make a great world, isn't it? If we all saw each other as having an original destiny, an origins that was glorious, and an original destiny that Christ realizes in his own human body— and as God, he realizes that destiny for us by being transfigured. It gives us a hint how providential. You know, Jesus was a great setup artist. He was always setting us up. It actually happened a little bit prior to when he was going to suffer and die on the cross. And he warned the apostles that. He gave them that glimpse so they would be hopeful. They would remain steadfast in the faith because he knew the faith would be shaken. Now, he knew that. They didn't know what he was talking about because he comes down the hill. They want to stay up there. He comes down the hill and says that the Son of Man will have to suffer and die. They don't really understand that. But he gave them that glimpse that hopefully they would recall that. They would hearken back to that when they would see Christ seemingly powerless, humiliated, defeated. So he gives them that vision to hang on to. But in his human body, Jesus Christ realizes everything that will be realized for us. See, that's the key. That's why we would have really no hope of anything had Christ not taken on our human form and run it through all the things that he ran it through. He ran it through redemptive suffering. He redeemed the body. He raised it up. And then he mounted it on the throne of heaven with him. Imagine there's a human form. Human nature is in heaven on the throne of God. But he gave us a hint, as he did to the apostles, he gave us a hint at his transfiguration. He would often do that. He would often give hints. He foreshadows, and then he realizes it. 
in his own body. And that is our realization. Remember, anything that happens to Christ is our story. The Bible is our story. Christ is the sum total of the human drama, the human story. And that's why what we see in him, why we have to draw close to him, is we see in him and experience in him our own story, our origins, the truth of who we are, and our, and our destiny. And in the icon of the transfiguration, also in the biblical account of it, Jesus Christ is on Mount Tabor, gloriously transfigured, and on either side of him is Elijah the prophet and Moses, two of the greatest figures of the Old Testament. Why are they there? And it says, a detail, it's always in the details, the details say that they are conversing with God, with Jesus Christ, on the mountain. It's because they represent the law, that's Moses, and the prophets. Elijah was the greatest of all the prophets. In fact, he is sometimes seen as the, the precursor of St. John the Baptist, or St. John the Baptist is almost like, no, we don't have reincarnation, but in a sense, he's like the reincarnation or the re-representation of Elijah the prophet. And so Elijah is representing all of the prophets of the Old Testament and Moses the law. Why? Because those are the two things that preceded the coming of Christ. Those are the two things that the Israelites live by. They live by the prophets, what they prophesied, what, how they reminded people of their covenant with God, how to be faithful to that, what could happen to them. Prophets aren't necessarily people that predict the future like we think. They do predict in the sense that if we are not right with God, if we go against the covenant, there'll be disasters. Things just won't go well. So in that sense, they're prophetic. And sometimes their prophecies are detailed. But most of the time, it's basically the prophecy of if we remain faithful to God and to the covenant, things will go well. If not, they will not go well. Not because God is a vengeful God, but because that's just the way things are. It's the order of things. So the prophets were important to the Israelites, but second to that also then was the law. They lived by the law. And the law would now give rise to Jesus Christ. He would now become the supreme prophet and even beyond. And that's why now if we move to the icon of the baptism of Christ, which we call theophany, John the Baptist is there. He's baptizing Christ, but in an interesting way. Again, it's always in the details. He has his hand on the head of Christ. Christ is in the water, totally submerged in the water, but John's hand is on his head. And what this is showing is that he's not just pouring water on his head, he's, he's actually pouring the Holy Spirit down upon him. In other words, he's investing Christ with the prophetic office, the office that John the Baptist had. And John is basically saying, that I will not die away, this will become the ultimate prophet, and even beyond. Jesus, yes, Jesus was a prophet, but even beyond that, he was, of course, the Son of God. So he brings into completion all of the prophets of the Old Testament, brings into culmination, summation, but also the law. The law was the how-to, the moral code. But as St. Paul would talk about, that law basically, I mean, is what they had at the time, is what God gave them at the time, but Basically, all it ended up doing really was exposing how they were bad, you know, because the law was difficult to comply with, especially as they elaborated on the law, and they made it so cumbersome, as Jesus warned the Pharisees about. But the law will give rise to Jesus Christ. He will become the law. It will no longer be law in that sense of legalities. It'll be the law of living life in the Spirit, the freedom of the gift of the Spirit. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about this marvelous feast day of the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ on Mount Tabor. 
I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Here we are sitting in the middle of the prairie at Annunciation Parish in beautiful Homer Glen, Illinois. And with me is Father Tom Loya. Father Tom, please tell us about Prairie Fest. This is the 11th anniversary of Prairie Fest, which is a festival for the entire family where you'll enjoy music, a grand cash raffle with $15,000 in total prizes, a beer tent, animal shows, juggling, wine art, and more. Prairie Fest kicks off Friday, August 10th at 5 p.m. with music by Echo and Ransom. Next at 7.30, enjoy longtime Chicagoland favorites M&R Rush. Saturday, August 11th, is Family Day, starting at noon with kids' games, animal shows, juggling, and much, much more. The music kicks off with Common Allies at 4.30. Next, at 7.30, enjoy the Hat Guys. Sunday, August 12th, is Polka Day. Starting at 11 a.m., prepare to polka with the Polka Generations Band. While you're enjoying all of this music, food, and fun, take a guided tour of this beautiful prairie and experience the church's breathtaking interior during the Annunciation Parish Church Tours. Only a $5 cover for those 14 and up, $3 cover for those 3 through 13, $5 for on-premises parking each day, or free shuttle from the remote lot. For early registration discount for the Wine Art Studio and event schedule, visit ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Prairie Fest. Friday through Sunday, August 10th through the 12th at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor, spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. It is my YouTube program. These are very short reflections on different issues. They include things I talk about here on Light of the East, but also issues of all types. And they're very brief. It's me speaking to you from the heart. And you can find out about that by going to YouTube and go to Father Thomas Loya, Light of Tabor. Isn't that providential that I'm talking about that today? <laughs> Father Thomas Loya, Light of Tabor. That's on YouTube. And you'll get my little brief little reflections about various issues. So tune in, Father Thomas Loya, Light of of Tabor. Speaking of light of Tabor, what does that mean? It was a light that emanated out from Jesus Christ when he was on Mount Tabor. 
In the Eastern churches, we speak about very holy people as glowing with the light of Tabor. In the West, there's other manifestations of sanctity, like stigmatas and levitation and visions. Well, in the East, one of the signs and experiences of great saints, of great holiness, was this light of Tabor. They would say that this person would, in a sense, glow like his aura, something like Christ on Mount Tabor, although not nearly as glorious, of course. But there would be a certain light that would come from them. And that light of Tabor emanated from Christ, but it's also meant to emanate from all of us. It's a sign of holiness. See, in the Eastern churches, the Eastern spirituality, the word light, immersion, transfiguration, transformation, participation in, these are key terms in understanding the spirituality of the Eastern lung of the church. Yes, it exists in the Western lung too, but the difference, and this is always the difference between East and West, it's a matter of how much of something exists where. In other words, a matter of emphasis. In the East, the emphasis is in that mystical kind of union. It's in this world, but yet it's beyond this world. And we immerse ourselves in it. We are transformed, transfigured by it. In fact, in the divine liturgy, basically, we engage in that light of Tabor. We're to walk out with that light of Tabor, and we do so especially through the Eucharist. During the Eucharistic prayer, which we call in the Eastern churches the anaphora, which means offering, the priest will actually say, as he calls down the Holy Spirit upon the gifts, the bread and wine, in other words, the epiclesis, that's called the epiclesis, the calling down of the Holy Spirit, he'll call down the Holy Spirit to change the bread and wine into body and blood of Christ. But he'll do so by saying and asking the Holy Spirit to come down to change us. And then he says, change the bread and wine. And notice that that order is very significant. The whole point of our entering into liturgy is also the whole point of spirituality, especially as emphasized in the East. And that is this idea of being changed, transformed, transfigured. Now you know why the transfiguration is one of my favorite feast days. This idea that we're continuously changing we're like evolving more and more into the image and likeness of Christ, or so, we, or so we should be. We're evolving more and more into what the great Catholic speaker and writer Matthew Kelly would say, the best version of ourselves. That's another word for holiness, for ongoing growth. And it is an ongoing process. That's what we call it, divinization or theosis, deification. In other words, it's our becoming more and more like God, which is our calling. We were made to image God. We were made to become like him to be grafted onto his very nature, to become partakers of his divine nature, as it says in the epistle of St. Peter. This is a transformative thing. This is something that, a process in which we realize our true nature, our true destiny, our origins and our destiny, how we were really supposed to be from the beginning, how we will be forever if we have made it to salvation. So this Feast of Transfiguration is very, very central to the whole approach to spirituality, not only in general, East or West, but in particular in the Eastern churches. So we want to fill ourselves, immerse ourselves in that light of Tabor. Now, as we are filled with that light of Tabor, we have to now apply it. So that's why we go to church, as I mentioned. As it says in the Anaphora, the Eucharistic prayer, we go to church to be transformed and to praise God. And so we take that transformation, we take that light of Tabor that we're imbued with by having been to church, having touched God in such an intimate way, and we take that to every aspect of life. One of the things we do on this feast day is we bless fruit. 
We bring in fruit, sometimes even herbs or vegetables, but primarily fruit. And later on, the next feast coming up, as I mentioned earlier, the Feast of the Dormition or the Assumption will bless flowers and herbs. This is a way in which we apply that light of Tabor to the environment. We see in the foods that we eat, the foods that we grow, the herbs and flowers that are there for our, not only for our pleasure, but for our medicinal reasons, for our health, for the environment. We see all that as manifesting God, as participating, there's that word again, participating in God. And so we connect the liturgy with those items, with those things, by bringing them to church and having them blessed. And we take them to our homes and we have them there so that they're what we call sacramentals, not sacraments, sacramentals. These are physical things that put us in touch with the greater reality. They, they remind us when you see that blessed flower, you taste that blessed fruit, you're brought into the reality of that feast day. You're reminded about God even in your home. And we don't leave God within the four walls of the church. That's why we shouldn't talk about freedom of worship. We should say freedom of religion, meaning religion refers to a whole lifestyle. We are free to live our faith even beyond the confines of the temple. We take it home. It's called a domestic church. So we do so by physical things, by connecting church with home, church with our lives, by blessing these items. They also are very symbolic because fruit, as you know, starts from a tiny seed. Oftentimes, somebody just gave me a mustard seed the other day. It was actually a deacon who was going to give a homily and show people the mustard seed and how incredibly tiny it is. It's like the head of a pin. And from that seed comes a huge tree. You know, Jesus really knew what he's doing when he was using that as an analogy. And that little seed can grow into this huge, fruitful tree. It, it's just incredible. And so we acknowledge that. We acknowledge that, that wonderment that we see in all of creation. And that we, we connect ourselves with it. Because a seed transfigures, right? It starts out, it looks like, like a little tiny rock or something. And then from that comes this beautiful, marvelous plant, oftentimes with fruit of its own. So that's another reason why we use the fruit during this feast day, because it's really reminiscent of something that radically transfigures. And that's the same with us. We are really called to radically transfigure, to continuously grow in the image and likeness of God. Now we take this vision then, and we apply it, first of all, to the household, to the family. We call that domestic church. In other words, our family household should smell a little bit like the church. It should feel and seem a little bit like the church, like what we do there. In other words, there should be gathering. Th things that are reminiscent of the Eucharist, what, what happens in liturgy. There's gathering. There's reading of Scripture. There's prayer. There's even quiet time. There's deferential and kind behavior and talk to one another. There's a proper deportment. All these things that we have in church need to stretch into our home life. That's taking the light of Tabor, letting it shine in our home life. But then we take it beyond. We take it to the workplace, to every aspect of life. I often hear this phrase, you know, they say to me, people will say, well, Father, you know, business is business, you know. And I say to them, no, no, business is not just business. Business, like everything else in life, is supposed to be seen through this liturgical sacramental vision, this light of Tabor. Business is another way to make manifest the kingdom of God on earth. It just so happens that it occurs through money and work. 
business, entrepreneurship, creativity, enterprise. These are ways of making the kingdom of God present on earth. And so we should apply then the Light of Tabor principles to that. Look what happens when you do. Businesses thrive, workers are happy, which creates more business and more workers. But when we segregate, we, we cut away, we dichotomize that Light of Tabor from the other aspects of our life, such as business, there's problems and ugliness and injustice. And sometimes businesses will fail because of that. The Light of Tabor is a reality that first changes us so that we can go out then and change the world, starting from our homes, from church to home to the world. And this is why Jesus Christ took his principal three apostles, those three principal apostles, Peter, John, and James. He revealed a lot to them that he did not to the others, at least not right away. And he wanted them to see this, to be imbued with this light of Tabor so that they would eventually take it to the world because Jesus Christ knew he was going to send these apostles to every corner of the world. They had to be filled with the light of Tabor. He wanted them to get a glimpse of it, to strengthen them during hard times, especially in the immediate days ahead where Jesus Christ would seem to be defeated. But we too are filled with that light of Tabor and we take it to every dimension of life. St. Paul says, live as children of light. Light produces every kind of goodness and truth. That is the light of Tabor. And this feast day and its spirituality is certainly indeed one of the great, great fundamental building blocks of Eastern Christian spirituality. I wanna thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!